Oh, there it goes. This table is heavier than it looks. Thank you. At least I didn't break the glass. That'll be bad. Well, good morning. Um, happy, excited to be sharing with y'all this morning. We're going to be continuing in First John. So if you've been here, um, we're going to just be picking right back up. So last week, uh, Matthew kind of wrapped up this section. First John's kind of split up into three sections, and John kind of has three themes uh, in the book. And so last week, Matthew kind of wrapped up the second section. And so this week, we're going to be talking about love, which is the next section. So Teresa, I don't know if you knew what this was going to be about this morning, but your passage was like spot on. I'm like, man, perfect. Probably You probably knew, but there you go. <laughs> That's good. I like that. No surprises. So when you think about the word love, um, I don't know what you think about. I kind of thought about my journey with the word love. Um, you know, I thought about elementary school and I had like these girls that I liked and uh, I thought that I knew what love was then. And then Lexi and I, she was 14 and I was 16 when we first started dating and we had no idea what we were doing. And we've been married seven years now. So, and together, I don't, 15 years, yeah, pretty crazy. When I was 16, I thought I knew what love was. Um, I remember, you know, the butterflies that you feel and uh, had, you know, I was a stupid 16-year-old, so. And then, you know, we see all kinds of examples of love, like rom-coms and what culture defines love is, but I want to think about, I want you to think about how would you define love? And then we're going to hopefully see today how the Bible defines love, and we'll see if there's, if we're on the same page or not. Um, we're going to see two examples today. We're going to see one to reject and one to follow. I love when the Bible gives us like clear examples. You know, it's one thing for there to be like instructions, like do this or don't do that, but it's another thing when there's an, an example, like a story or an example of a person who demonstrated it really well or someone who did demonstrated it very poorly. So we're going to read 1 John, we'll be in chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, and then we'll come back and go through it. And I will say, on the screen, it might be a little bit different, because the version of the Bible I'm using, we don't have it exactly in the computer up there, but it should be pretty close to the same. So 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning, just thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together with brothers and sisters, and even though we might not have anything else in common, Lord, we have you in common, and that makes us family. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that, for the family that you've created. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would speak to us, um, Father, that um, you would help show us what love looks like, and that when we leave this place, Lord, that we would be different than we were when we came in. in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're just going to start at the top. So verse 11, he says, 
for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Well, okay, what does that mean? What's the context from the beginning? Well, I think John is probably most likely referencing something that Jesus said because he's speaking to believers right here. So we're going to look at Luke. There's going to be a lot of verses here this morning, so feel free, just like always, to turn if you want, but it will be on the screen. So we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and we're going to see what is he talking about that you have heard from the beginning. So this is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked them, How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. So here, this is Jesus speaking in Luke, and there's a teacher of the law who's looking for a loophole, essentially, here. We'll see in a minute. um, He asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Essentially, he, he knows what the command is, but he is looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way out of it. But when, when John says here in 1 John chapter 3, uh, what you have heard from the beginning is these people are believers. They are followers of Jesus. So they have literally heard these words, probably not in person from Jesus, but they have heard that Jesus said these words, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what he's referencing here. We should love one another. And then in verse 12, he, he gives us the example that we shouldn't follow first. It says, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Cain is, we're going to read the story of Cain and Abel because I don't want to assume that, you know, it's a story that a lot of us might know, but I don't want to assume that we all know the story. So we're going to read it and see what the example is. It'll be in Genesis chapter four. So you can turn there, but I'll, I'll preface it while you do that. Um, so, so Cain was the world's first murderer. And I know that true crime is, like, very popular these days, so this should be very intriguing for all of us. So you can read the world's first true crime story. Um, <laughs> Lexi and I have been going through, like, we've started this year together going through the Bible for, for the year. And, you know, obviously we're in Genesis right now. And I've read Genesis a lot of times, but if anyone ever tells me that the Bible is boring, I'm going to tell them, you need to go read Genesis because the Bible is definitely not boring it, it is literally like a soap opera. Um, there's so much crazy things that happen. But this is kind of one of the first, uh, this is one of the first stories where a soap opera happens. So we're going to be in Genesis 4, 1 through 9. So Adam knew his wife Eve intimately, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. And then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of a flock, but Cain cultivated the land. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why are you downcast? If you do right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? We're going to stop there. So, and uh, skipping ahead, the answer to that is yes, we are our brother's keeper. We'll get to that. But 
Um, Cain was jealous of, of his brother. And I think one thing, and we're not going to go super deep into this story this morning because we just we don't have time, but I think one thing that I want to point out is that God didn't reject Cain's offering because of the substance of it. Like Cain worked the, the land and Abel was a shepherd. So it wasn't like, oh man, I, you know, God didn't like sheep better than whatever the produce that was brought by, by Cain. But God knows our hearts, and God knew that Cain's offering was not sincere. God knew that Cain wasn't in a good place in his heart. He was not doing it for the right reasons. And so that's why God rejected Cain's offering, not because of the substance of that offering. And I'm saying that just because we're going we're gonna to see that uh, it, it is God's character that he looks at our heart. We're going to see that as we continue through this passage this morning. But obviously Cain was jealous, and he had envy over his brother, um, and, you know, because of that, he killed his brother. And so I think that is the example that we shouldn't follow. We don't need to be jealous or envious of our brother. We shouldn't be like Cain. Um, and obviously, anger and jealousy leads, us to, leads to action most of the time. That's not good. We're going to talk about that. Uh, so continuing in verse 13, John says, Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. So, Kind of right here again, he's continuing this thought of if you are doing what's right, if we're loving our brothers and sisters, the world might hate us. Um, there's going to be a verse here, John 3, 19 through 20. You don't have to turn there, we'll just throw it on the screen. It says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may be exposed. So, Sin, evil, hates the light because obviously light exposes the darkness, right? A lot of times when we sin, we think no one else sees it. And if someone else were to come and call it out, we would be embarrassed or we would feel ashamed. And we, don't, we wouldn't want that. But that's not how God works. God sees everything. We can't hide it from him anyway. Just like, you know, Cain lied to God when he said, where's your brother? God knew where his brother was. God knew that he killed his brother but he thought he could hide it and lie, um, but he couldn't because God knew. In the same way, like, we can't hide our sin. God sees it, but also for those of the world who do not have a relationship with Jesus, they don't like righteousness because it exposes the sin in their life. It exposes the darkness in their life. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm not a pastor, but um, Matthew, I haven't asked Matthew about this, but I would guess to say that, like, if Matthew went to a dinner party or something, and he didn't know anyone there, his probably the most dreaded question is, what do you do? Like, what do you do? No pastor wants to hear that question because then everyone, then you're, you're the loneliest person in that room for the rest of the night. No one wants to talk to you because they just feel, they, they wouldn't even know Matthew. They don't know if he's actually, because I promise you, there's lots of bad pastors out there. Matthew is not one of them. I, he is not. He's a good one. But it's just this, you know, people think that pastors are holy or righteous or whatever, and so they feel like man, I don't want to. I don't want that. I don't want my sin to be exposed. Um, that's so. But if someone knows you're a believer, if someone knows I'm a believer, um, and they are not a believer, it might cause them to not want to be friends with you or to not want to be around you. And you know what? That's okay. Um, we should love them, and we should still. Jesus dined with sinners and tax collectors, and Jesus was around people who were living in sin, and we should be around those people. We should love those people, but don't be surprised if they don't want to be around you if you're a believer. It's just, that's what John's saying right here. Um, and then verse 14, 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. I like this. We know that we have passed. It doesn't say we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. It says we know that we have passed from death to life. So loving our brothers and sisters is not what makes us righteous. Loving our brothers and sisters is not what makes us um, what, what is not what brings us from death to life, but as a result of being brought from death to life, we love our brothers. Um, that's the gospel. Love is the fruit of us, being, of, of us being brought from death to life. When we have faith in Jesus, that is, it, is, uh, it, it is through faith and the grace of Jesus that we are brought from death to life, and then love is the fruit of that. So it doesn't mean that we should love so that we can have God's approval or so that we can be saved. We love out of that as a result of that. And I think this is beautiful because this being brought from death to life, it means two things. One, um, as believers, we get a taste of God's kingdom here and now. So when we cross from death to life, when we have faith in Jesus, we, we get to experience God's peace here on earth. We get to experience joy. Uh, we get to experience love. But we don't get to experience that fully. One day, whenever the kingdom comes and Christ returns, we're going to get to experience that in all of its fullness. But we get to experience some of that now. Uh, theologians, people a lot smarter than me, they call this the already not yet. That we get, to, we get to, to experience part of it now, but we don't get to experience it fully. And we will one day. So that's the beautiful thing, that whenever we do cross from death to life, love is fruit. And we get to experience love, we get to receive love, but we also get to distribute love and to minister love to others, which we'll talk about. On to the next verse, chapter, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You might read that and think, man, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, harsh. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Well, um, I know that John is pretty black and white. You know, he doesn't see a lot of gray area, which is okay. Um, I feel like in my life, I used to think a lot, there are definitely things that are black and white. I'm not saying that there's not. There are a lot of things that is very black and white, but I feel like the longer that I live, I see more gray area, not in things of like the gospel and things of absolute truth, but just in a lot of other areas. But John, he is, he is speaking in very black and white terms, and I think he's probably referencing um, when he says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I think he's probably um, referencing the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going we're gonna to look at that, Matthew 5, uh, 21 through 26, which will also be on the screen. Um, we're going to see Jesus talk about this and kind of what he says, and I think that's what, what John's referencing here. So let's see. Matthew 5, 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. He's referencing the Ten Commandments right here. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. I assure you, 
you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So essentially what Jesus is saying here is, you've heard it said, do not murder, but if you have hate in your heart towards a brother or sister, you've basically committed murder. Just like he says, uh, and just after this, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, another one of the Ten Commandments, but anyone who has looked with lust at someone else has committed adultery. Same thing, same concept. This is back to what I was talking about with Cain and Abel, is that God sees our heart. We were talking about this in our community group uh, this, just this past week, that you know, I don't feel like God sits in heaven with a list and um, says, you know, checks the do's and don'ts and makes a tally of our rights and wrongs. God sees our heart, and that's what he cares about. He sees our heart. And so if we're angry with someone, we, I mean, God, it's the same as committing murder because we are sinning against another person. And I think if, on the Sermon on the Mount passage, we see something pretty wild, which is that, that, that Jesus is saying to a Jewish audience, it, this is so important that if you are literally on, on the altar making a sacrifice or a gift and you have something between you and your brother, you should get up and before making that, that sacrifice, you should go and be reconciled with your brother and then come back. To the Jewish audience that he was saying this to, there was nothing more important than making your offering to God. Literally nothing more important. But Jesus is saying, no, if you have something between yourself and God, go and make that, between yourself and another person, go and make that right first before you go and make your gift to, to God. Um, it's so important to not have anger or hate towards our brother, but to seek reconciliation, just like Jesus did with us, just like Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled. Verse 16, we're going to see the example that we should follow. We saw the example not to follow. Now we're going to see the example to follow. Verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay our lives down for our brothers. True love requires sacrifice. It does. Um, Meeting the needs of others oftentimes requires sacrifice. It oftentimes requires us to sacrifice something. This is the gospel. We were separated from God because of sin. And Jesus lived the perfect life. He was fully God and fully man. He faced the same temptations that we face. He faced the same hurt that we face here on earth. He faced the same heartbreak that we face here on earth. But he remained perfect. He never sinned. And he died on the cross bearing the weight of our sin. And he rose three days later, defeating death once and for all for those who believe. That's the gospel. And if we have faith in Jesus, if we have faith in Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. Here's the thing. This says, just like Jesus, we should lay our lives down for our brothers. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not the perfect sacrifice. And I can never be the perfect sacrifice because I'm not a perfect person. I strive every day to be like Jesus, but I've failed and I come up short very often. Jesus is the only one who could be the perfect sacrifice. So I don't think that what John's saying here is that we should be the perfect sacrifice like Jesus. But what I think he's saying here is that we should make sacrifices to meet the needs of others because that's what Jesus did for us. See, we had no hope without Jesus. Sin separated us from God. Sin separates us from God. There is nothing that we could do on our own power to bridge that gap. And so Jesus came to earth. God came to earth. And he lived the perfect life. And he died one of the most gruesome deaths we could even ever imagine to meet a need, which was that we needed redemption. We needed reconciliation. He was the only one that could do that for us. So I think that this example, John says this is how we know love. 
Jesus not only is the example of love, but Jesus is the very, the very definition of love. I think this example, I think Jesus' example goes far beyond my 16-year-old feelings of butterflies in my, in my heart, you know, for my wife, even though I do love her very much. I think this takes love to a whole nother level. I think love, and we're going to see this, goes far beyond feelings. Yes, I think that love can express itself in feelings, but if it ends there, it's not love. Jesus' death substitutes for our own death. Jesus' death saves us from ours and gives us hope. That's love. That's the gospel. Far beyond anything that the world defines love as, far beyond anything we see in movies, or far beyond even our butterflies that we feel for our spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or uh, even our love that we feel that's not like a romantic type of love. Heck, I love a lot of you in this room. Um, I do. And I have feeling. Like, I, you know, I think of there were times um, when I, when, you know, once we had kids, there are still times that, like, I feel like my heart is literally going to explode out of my chest because I see my kids and I just have that much love for them. But if it stopped, like if that was all it was, was those feelings, if it never manifested itself in action, then it wouldn't be love. So John, John shows us the example of Jesus, but then he gives us a mission. He doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, this is the example of love that, we, that has been shown to us. He says, now that I've told you what this example is, this is what you should do with it. This is what you should, as believers, this is what we should do. So verse 17 says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Think about that. If we see a need and we're, we have the resources to meet that need but we choose not to, how can God's love reside in us? Um, we're going to continue. We were in Luke 10. We saw in Luke chapter 10, uh, you know, the, the teacher of the law asking Jesus that, that question of, um, of who's my neighbor. He said, you know, what, what's the greatest commandment? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him what the law says. He responded, love, your, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus told him, that's correct. Do this and you'll live. But then verse 29, it says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. How often is that me? How often is that you? That we know the truth, but we want to justify our sin, or we want to justify our reason not to do what Jesus says to do, or not to do what we know is right. I found myself in that boat before. My wife will be the first to tell you that I sometimes like to argue, and so, and I tell my wife, you know, for me, I'm a verbal processor, so sometimes my arguing is just me processing something, but she doesn't see it that way. But that, that's me trying to justify myself, so there we go. I'm doing what I'm telling us, not what Jesus is saying that we shouldn't do right there. But um, Jesus answered as he often does with a story. And you may have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to read that. Um, verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up, and, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. And he went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put, on his own, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him 
when I come back, I'll reimburse you for any extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Jesus told him, go and do the same. So again, we're not going to go deep into this, but basically what happened here is uh, it's assumed that the man who, who fell, the man who was hurt, was Jewish. And we see that a priest came by and that he, he walked on the other side. And we think, man, a priest of all people should have been the one to help him, right? And a Levite, but then it's the Samaritan, the one who, a Levite would have also been one who would, had no qualms with Jews, would have, been, would have been able to help him. But it was the Samaritan, the one who Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The one who should have been the least likely to help is the one who helped. And so what Jesus is saying with this story is that our neighbor is actually the one that we don't, that we would be least willing or we least have the least desire to help. That's our neighbor. So when we are told to love our neighbor as ourself, it's easy to love our best friend. It's easy to love people we like, but it's not easy to love people that we don't like. And so Jesus is telling us that we should love even when it's hard, even when it's not what we necessarily want to do, um, but we should be generous in helping those around us with the resources that God entrusts us with. It's this concept called stewardship, which we're going to get to in just a minute. And then verse 18 of 1 John chapter 3, he says, Little children, we must not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. So love requires action. Love goes far beyond feelings. Love requires action. But it also requires truth. If we withhold truth from someone, we don't love them. If we know the truth, if we know the truth of what God says, and we withhold that from someone, we can't love them because we are not telling them the truth, which is ultimately, the Bible says that the truth will set you free. And so love requires truth and action. So we've kind of seen, we've seen uh, John talk about an example we shouldn't follow. We've seen him talk about an example we should follow. And then we've kind of seen him give us some instructions or kind of a mission. So what do we do with this? What are our next steps after we've heard this? The first is this, we can't love if we hate, period. Those two things, love and hate, are on both opposite ends of the spectrum. And if we hate someone, we can't love them. So this is a challenge for all of us. If there's a brother or sister who we have something against, something that's between us, if we're holding a grudge, if we hate someone, we need to do everything in our power to make peace with that person. You know, uh, it's not always up to us for, sometimes it requires both people to, for there to be a, like a great relationship, but we can't control what the other person does. We can only control what we do. So we should do everything in our power to make peace with that person. We should, if we did something wrong, we should apologize and ask for their forgiveness. If they did something wrong to us, we should forgive them in our hearts and truly forgive them and not hold a grudge. Um, you know, and that's hard. I'm not saying that's easy. There's been a lot of us who have been wronged in ways that I can't even imagine or explain. Um, but, you know, that requires God to do that in our hearts. Sometimes we can't do that on our own. So I would challenge all of us to ask God to help us to forgive other people in our lives. Um, ask God to remove even the thought of envy or jealousy that we might have towards another person. And you know what? This is going to sound corny, but it's very true. If there's someone that you hate or someone you have a hard time with, pray for them. It's hard to hate someone that you pray for. And I think, I feel like I've had this experience in my life, like people who I don't get along with or that I've had a hard time with. If I pray for them over time, God will soften my heart towards that person. So I, that's the challenge for all of us. But I will say 
we all have different personalities. And you know what? I'm probably not everybody's cup of tea. I know that I'm not. And you're probably not everybody's cup of tea either. But you can love someone without liking them. I'll just say that out <laughs> right out loud. You don't have to like everybody. It's not going to be possible. You're not going to like everybody. But we can love people without liking them. Um, number two, what should we do with this? Is follow Jesus' example. Obviously, like I said, we can't be the perfect sacrifice. But what we can do is we can find a need and we can be sacrificial with our time, with our resources. Um, I heard this illustration, and it, it went something like this. It said there was a man uh, who was sitting on a dock, and this other guy came running at full speed and ran right past the guy on the dock and jumped in the water, and he, was, he drowned. And as he was drowning, he said, I did this for you. And the guy sitting on the dock was like, What? That makes no sense. Like, I'm sitting on the dock. Like, that's dumb. That makes no sense. But then there was another guy who was in the water, and he started to drown. And another guy came running at full speed, and he jumped in, and he, and he rescued the guy. But as he rescued him, he drowned, and, and, he, and he died. But he said, I did this for you. That's love, because he saw a need, and he was willing to sacrifice to help meet someone else's need. Again, that's a dramatic example. Probably you're not going to have to I'm not saying you won't, because it does happen, but you probably will not have to die for another person. But we do have to die to ourselves. We do have to put our needs secondary sometimes. We do have to give up our resources. We do have to give up our time when we would rather spend our time doing something for ourselves to love another person. Um, and thirdly, love is an action, not just words or feelings. Love is an action. Um, there's this riddle. I heard this when I was a student at Clemson. Someone shared this with me, and I've never forgotten it. And it's been something that I've thought about a lot of times, and it's something that's been very convicting to me a lot of times as well. I don't know who said this originally, but it's kind of this old saying or old riddle or whatever it's called. But it goes like this. Um, there were five birds on a branch, and three decided to fly away. How many are left? Well, the answer is five, because just because you decide to do something doesn't mean that you do it. Um, so this is a challenge to me and to you. Intentions, even good ones, aren't love if, we, if they don't result in action. We can think about loving somebody. We can think about doing something for someone else. We can think about um, helping someone when they're in need. But if we don't actually do it, we didn't love them. Um, man, that's tough. That's tough for me because it's so easy. Like, we're all busy, and we all have things going on in our lives, and it's and there's a lot, you know, sometimes it's easy just to be passive and say, oh, someone else will take care of that. Or someone else will handle that need or it'll be fine. But love requires sacrifice. Love requires us to do something, to do something. And sometimes that means saying no to good things so that we can say yes to better things. That's hard for me. I want to say yes to everything. I'm outgoing. I like to be around people. I like to do things. I, don't, I also can be a people pleaser at times. So I just want to say yes to everything but sometimes it's necessary for me to say no to good things so that I can say yes to better things and so that I can love people well. So I, I said earlier this principle of stewardship, and it's something that God's really been showing me in the past probably five or six years, and you're probably familiar with it, but it goes like this. God is the ultimate provider and creator of everything. I think most of us would agree that God is the creator of everything. So if we really believe that, we believe that everything that we have is a gift from God, and, and here's, here's the thing that, that goes with this, with this um, passage today. God distributes provision by people helping people. 
God distributes provision by people helping people. I want you to think about all the times in your life where someone helped you or you were in need of something, even something small, and someone else stepped in and helped, you, helped fill that need for you. We get to be a part of that. We get to take part of being the distributor of God's resources, of God's provision for someone else, and it's a privilege. Everything we have is by God's grace, and if we withhold that or we, with, or we decide that we want to keep something for ourselves versus being generous or loving someone else with it, then we are essentially blocking God's provision for that other person. Um, that's the opposite of sacrifice. That's the opposite of love. And I'll say this, and I, I'm preaching to the choir, guys. Like, you have done such an awesome job. Just I've seen you be the hands and feet of Jesus in the last few weeks especially, and I'm not going to stay there, but I just want to say thank you. You've done an awesome job. You've been an example to me of that. And so I'm preaching to the choir a little bit this morning. Um, but there's so many things. We have, when, we have meal trains that we help people whenever there's a need. We, have, we had the Give campaign uh, back last month. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to get to share with you all in a couple weeks like, how part of that has been, is going to be put to awesome use. Um, you've been sacrificial in so many ways. But this is what I would challenge you with. This is kind of what I want to leave us with this morning. Look for needs around us. Sometimes people don't know what to ask for. Sometimes people don't want to ask for help, but they need it. I think about my grandpa. My grandpa owned a construction company, and he's, uh, he showed me a lot of tough love as a kid when I got to help him and, and go work with him. And he always had this thing where he'd say, son, you know, get your hands out of your pocket. You need to help. And I'd say, well, nobody asked for help. And, and his, like, biggest pet peeve was always look for something to do. Look for a way to, if you're out on a construction site or you're doing a job, look for a way to get involved. Look for a way to help. Don't wait for someone to ask. And that's kind of my challenge to us this morning is let's show love. Let's do it physically. Let's take action, but let's look for ways to love others. Let's look for ways to help someone else. Let's look for a need because love is whenever a need is identified and there is sacrifice that is involved in helping to meet that need. That's how we show love. So I want to leave us with this last verse, John 13, 35. It'll be up on the screen. Um, and I don't feel like I need to say much, but it says, by this everyone, you'll know that everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So let that be our marker. Let it be so evident to those around us that we are followers of Jesus, that we are his disciples because we are loving each other so well. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for just giving us such practical um, ways, such practical examples in the Bible, Lord. Sometimes we read things and we think, man, I... This is too deep, or this is too theological, or I don't know what to do. But then we read other, other passages where it's just so clear what we need to do. Thank you, Jesus, for being our perfect example. Thank you for showing us what love is. Thank you for being love. Thank you for being the very definition of love, Lord. I just ask, I pray, Lord, that we would look for the needs of others around us, that we would, Lord, be your hands and feet. Father, I pray that when people see us, they would know so clearly that we're your followers, that, you're, that we're your disciples because of how, we're, how, how well, Lord, we're loving each other. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to take what we've learned and put it into practice this week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.